Hello, I'm Martin Mercer. And I'm James Mastriani. You've never heard of us. We're two Brits who grew up in North London and have had varying success in the film and television industry. In our ever-advancing age, we find ourselves on... The, the Wrong, wrong side, side of Hollywood. In our series of podcasts, we'll share our experiences of what it's like being a British bloke living and working... Or not. ...in the biz. We'll discuss everything from fish and chips to things that wind us up. So stay with us. It's all uphill from here. This podcast may contain strong language. If you're of a sensitive nature or easily offended, we invite you to, as they say in Blighty, jog on. Hello, welcome back to 2024. Yes, what a wonderful start to the year. Yes. It's lovely to see you again. And Happy you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, season two. Yes, that's right. Season two, episode one. Yes. And we are celebrating the Chinese New Year, which is approaching. Yes. Year of the Dragon. And you brought something fun for us to try out today, haven't you? I did. My mother-in-law, bless her, decided that it's about time we knuckle under and prove our worthiness by sampling this wonderful fruit. It's called the King of All Fruits, official fruit of Singapore. In Chinese, it's called Lao Lin. Lao Lin. Well done. You learned that well under my tutelage. <laughs> and it's also known as Durian. Duran. Girls on film. Yeah, we're going to lose listeners to this. And it's this very spiky fruit. I've no idea how anybody, when they first looked at it, said, yes, that's to eat. And what's more impressive, because we've done our little bit of Blue Peter, where we've prepared one earlier. Yes. Where it is now open and is sitting in front of me. And I can say that it looks like a bit of brain, the little section I've got that's been bleached. And there's something inside it that really doesn't look very nice. And also, it's, yeah. it stinks like natural gas. It does. Actually, I would say it looks like a cadaver's ball sack. It's <laughs> <laughs> been opened Accurate. Up. It really does. It looks like somebody's long since passed and we've just crashed. And this is what we've got to eat. And it does stink of natural gas. It's literally like you've shoved your nose right in the oven and closed the door. It's absolutely Without horrendous. lighting it. Yeah. yeah. So I think, James, you should be the one to crack in first as uh, a newbie. If you're mad at me, I wish you'd just tell me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a plate of madness for you right there. <laughs> All right, here we go, folks. This is... Uh, a spoon of it, lad. That's a pin's I'm, worth. Uh, yeah, I'm, do I'm not going to put the whole thing in my mouth. Are you mad? All right, this is it. Oh, God. Okay. Now, interesting. <laughs> there is a fruitiness about it, which actually isn't that bad. The texture, I want to vomit, can I just say. <laughs> but the actual taste of it starts out like natural gas, then goes a bit more, almost like a peach. But do I want to eat more of this? No. Yes, you do. I will have another spoonful to punish myself. Good lad. A New Year punishment. I think it's still a bit frozen, isn't it? No, I think there's a pit in here or something. Oh, yeah. That's um, the gonad. That's the... Right. <laughs> Tiny little bit on the... That's Duran's gonad. Simon Le Bon's balls. <laughs> yeah, i got to say, with all due respect, thank you very much for forcing me to try this. Glad I did. Can say I've done it now. Not doing it again. Yeah, but that's not cheap, James. You've got to finish that. No, I'll give it to Sal. Okay. All right, Your well, turn. Go... Okay, here we go. Oh, my God, it is absolutely fetid, isn't it? <laughs> but you see what I mean it's about like the peach? It's like custard soaked in petroleum. 
with an eggy aftertaste is absolutely degrading. I, I'm so glad you got those Jaffa cakes standing by, James. Yep. Oh, well. Simon and Bob's balls. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're a braver man than me. I, I, I do this for my mother-in-law. I'm committed to the relationship between me and your daughter. <laughs> I love all things Chinese. <laughs> oh, my God, you are sick. Oh, my God. Would you like me to... <laughs> it's beating me up on the inside. Oh, my God. Oh, I swallowed something there. That wasn't natural. I'm going to crack open... It's crack open. The Jaffa Cakes is a palate cleanser. Yeah. Are you I ready? Can't waste it. I've got to finish Simon's left. That is right bollock as well. Oh, my God. I annoyed the wife earlier. Yeah, Martin. Have a palate cleanser. Oh, my God. You're going to need them. Dude, this is shrinkflation. Are we recording this? Yeah. These are what's left of the ones that you brought me from England at Christmas, or just for Christmas. Mate, they, I, I'm serious. They look like they were once Jaffa Cakes. They've shriveled up, yep. and, they, and they've ended up like this. Yeah. I cannot believe the size or lack of size of these. Yes, but they taste better than that disaster that we were just subjected yeah, to. Yeah, I need a good old British builder's tea. Oh, I've just stuffed one whole one in my mouth because they have shrunk. And I'm talking about the Jaffa. Theatrics to the bishop. <laughs> mm. Oh, dear. Anyway, so that's our food section. Dunk love. I don't know what we should call that. Punk love. That was just nasty, mm. I have to tell you. And just a bit more information about it. It's actually banned from transportation in Thailand, Japan, Singapore and Hong Kong. They actually have signs saying no durians over airports and hotels because they can't stand the stink. Are you sure it's not because they can be dropped from a great height and kill people? I know it's nature's morning star, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Yeah. I think we've passed that test. Our listeners are going to have to tune into our Patreon to Absolutely. see the actual cracking open of this alleged fruit. Yeah. Weapon of mass destruction, Oh, mate. my God. Weapon of mass stink. There you go. All right. Happy New Year. Yeah. And talking of New Year, yeah. we should discuss entertainment because it was just the holidays. Yep. And I found myself going to see Godzilla Minus One, which was from Toho. Yep. It had nothing to do with the legendary versions, which quite honestly suck. My opinion. I don't think they do so. I mean, they're not as good, but they are in conjunction with Toho. Oh, I've been yeah. watching Monarch Legacy of Monsters on, oh, yeah. on yeah. Apple TV. And it's a bit of a slow burn. Yeah. But it is good. And when I started watching it, mm. and this was before I saw Godzilla Minus One, I went and watched the 2014 Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, God. And at the end of that, they go into the parallel right. underworld. Right. And then in Monarch Legacy of Monsters, they actually set that whole thing up. Yeah. So it's, it's all well and good, but just to get a samurai sword and slice your argument right. down. The thing is with G minus one is that you watch it and I, for the first time in such a long time, I believed mm. in that monster when it arrives on the island. Yeah. And then when you see it in Ginza District, right. the camera looks up a bit and, it's there, and I was like, oh my God, I'm feeling And the music's like, bum, no, bum, It was bum. great. And, it, and the plot, and it just all coalesced yeah. into something that Hollywood, not to bash Hollywood down, because there is some good stuff, obviously. There's quite a lot of good stuff, especially in streaming and TV. But this just seemed, and it's not just me, in my opinion, because I was in an audience in North Hollywood. There were hoodie guys mm -hmm. there and they were silent. Right. And they were silent doing the emotional bits. 
And when you see the monster and saw some of the stuff, like the plane going into his mouth, they were like, oh, what? They were kids yeah. again. Mm -hmm. There's been very little movie-making experiences recently that have had that. And I have a confession to make because oh. I am not a Godzilla fan. I never have been. You're like a Muppet. I went along and I was blown away by it. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the miniature aspect of the original Toho movies. Oh, yeah. We all love that. The Sudoku, yeah. Sudoku, just a Sudoku. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But as you said, with Godzilla Minus One, mm. it was fabulous. It was yeah. really good, really well done. I love the fact that every time somebody pleads with somebody in Japan, they always have to bow and bang their head on the table. I always thought that was good. <laughs> yeah, that was that one character, didn't he? He was so desperate. Yeah. He was basically a kamikaze. He was embarrassed. There's nothing worse in Japanese society than embarrassment. Right. Shame. I remember when Sal and I were lucky to go to Tokyo and we walked across this atrium and it was filled with these lovely shops and things and I had a big bag of rubbish from our picnic mm. and these two Japanese ladies were there and they came and they were smiling and they came and they took my bag and off they went and they put it in a special bin receptacle and then afterwards I had read that actually when they were smiling at you it's embarrassment. Oh. They were embarrassed. It they were embarrassed for Western... you because you were carrying trash. Yeah, the gaijin was walking across. He was eating. <laughs> he was being gaijin smashed. So but... they weren't embarrassed for themselves. No, they were embarrassed but, but... for you. Well, I, you I think know. so. It goes back to him. He's embarrassed. He let his crew down. He yeah. didn't shoot a monster from the plane. And he backed away from being a kamikaze. Yeah. And so that desperation. And it was interesting because people didn't really laugh at that when he did it. You no. would have thought that would have got a laugh. Right. But it didn't. I mm. think people could see he was so desperate. Yeah. And then because he, he had the bandage on. Right. Which, again, if that had been done wrong, James, I think it could have been hilarious yeah. in, in a bad way. Right. But it just worked. I wonder how audiences in Japan found it. Loving they... it, mate. No, it's I, huge. No, I know it's huge. But I'm wondering because they have a different sensibility to us. So when the guy is banging his head on the table pleading for forgiveness, if they're actually going, ha, ha, ha. No, yes, no. They w I don't think they would. No, I don't think so. Interesting. It would be interesting to watch it. There. I know some people have seen it in japan so yeah another thing moving on something completely different you said you'd enjoyed it and mm. so me and my wife binged slow ah, horses with yes. mr gaddy oldman yes brilliant and, show. Uh, brilliant brilliant show yeah i'm glad you finally got to watch it and sally grew to like it because you said you watched like the first couple of episodes and sal didn't like it so you didn't watch yeah. any more of it yeah and then Monty and I were just telling you, you got to finish watching it. It's yeah. great. And you binged three seasons of oh, it. Oh, he couldn't stop. Yeah. I mean, it was just brilliant. His character and just seeing it in London yeah. and seeing not the pretty parts of London either, you know, some of the more right. grotty aspects right. and the characters and the way it was directed as well, the direction of the scenes and the way it all joined together and the script was just really loved it. I had read somewhere that Gary Oldman had said to his agent, look, I'd love to do something where I don't have to sit in a makeup chair for 40 or 50 hours and I can just wear grotty clothes and all this kind of stuff yeah. and then he got a call from his agent and said you're not going to believe this <laughs> I think I said that was an interview on YouTube right. and I saw that as yeah. well and that's what he said he's done so many movies with makeup like yeah. Mason Verger right. he was in there for four hours doing that amazing makeup yeah. So he's known for changing his appearance. Yeah. Even Sirius Black, he had right. quite a bit of work done. And so this was, for him, it was just like, yeah, a bit of grease in the hair. Yeah. 30 minutes in makeup, boom, I'm done. That's fabulous. The I... same Mac, the same shirt. 
Such a great show. Yeah. Such a really good show. And I haven't read the books. I understand no. there's a the whole bunch of graphic novels as well. Oh, is there? Yeah. Oh. Um, I might need to investigate yeah. that. Graphic novels, interesting. Yeah. But yeah, some good entertainment this past holiday, really. Anything else you've seen? You well, to... I was gifted a book that I had not read or heard of before. Not read many of No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> the English title is called Rivers of London by Ben Aranovich. Now, Ben Aranovich had written a few Doctor Whos in the 1980s. Oh, really? Yeah. And they called it uh, a different title over here called Midnight Riot, I think is the name of the book. And there's a series of them. There's nine or ten of them. Right. And it's all set in London, which is really nice because the writer is posing all these places that I am familiar with. And right. I know everywhere that he's talking about. And this initial murder takes place in Covent Garden. And he's mentioning James Street, Mercer Street. Yeah. And I know it all. And I'm like, oh, it's taking me home. It's brilliant. So I've been enjoying that. Yeah. Uh, and that came uh, out in 2011. Yes. Novel centers on the adventures of Peter Grant, a young officer in the Metropolitan Police who, following an unexpected encounter with a ghost, is recruited into the small branch of the Met that deals with the magic and supernatural. Yeah, it's oh, that sounds like a sort of a great project for a streaming. Exactly. Anyway, when I'm done with it, it's coming your way because you need to Excellent. read it. It's really good. I'm oh, really enjoying great. it. It's funny you mentioned that. I'm actually reading a book by Orson Welles. Mm. No, I'm not reading a book by Orson Welles. I'm reading a <laughs> book by George Orwell. <laughs> yeah. hmm. Mr. 1984. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm reading a book by George Orwell, and it's called Down and Out in Paris and London. Oh. And it's a fantastic book. It was written back in the 40s, actually written before he wrote 1984. Okay. And he was in Paris and London. And was down and out, apparently. And was down and out. But it goes into being poor and the poverty. And he describes his feeling of the fear of being poor. And I was yeah. thinking, yeah, I have that. I don't want to be poor. You no. know, you're surrounded now right. by the results of poverty, yes. homelessness. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that is a fear. That's true. And he goes, I had this feeling. I was managing on six francs a day back in the 40s. And he goes, I was there. I was at rock bottom. And in a bizarre sense, there was a relief. Mm. And I just thought, oh, my God, that's so weird, isn't it? He's at the bottom, but there's that relief. But it's a fantastic book. I'm oh, working my way through it and really recommend it. I got that in a charity shop. Every year, I go back to London. I go into a charity shop, and I just try and pick a couple of books that, who knows, might reflect life. Oh. I hope this don't. <laughs> anyway. No, but it's funny you mentioned George Orwell. And I know it's a, a long stretch to get to where I'm going. But the other day, a friend of mine posted on Facebook, he's watching a science fiction show, and one of the characters has a name tag that says Tuttle. Oh, his... really? Interesting. And then that led on to a whole back and forth of me and everybody else quoting lines from Brazil. Right. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to need to watch Brazil again. And I'm going to fess up to you. I started watching it the other day, and I stopped watching it because I'm like, I have to watch this with Martin. Right. <laughs> so we're going to need to watch it again because yeah. it's just brilliant it is brilliant and also was so fascinating it was okay we'd had the terrorists the ira in the 70s and yep. 80s but it deals with terrorism at the beginning and the consumerism and all this stuff that's just become and ducts and what ducts oh ducks yes <laughs> i thought you said ducks i was like, i don't remember ducks in there <laughs> But did you go with us? No. Oh, uh, no. What? Did, did you visit the set? No. Right, because going back to my 
past. And then my mentor, George Gibbs, yeah. special effects supervisor, Oscar winner, Brazil. he did the physical mechanical effects yeah. for Brazil. And Richard Conway did the miniatures, the wonderful miniatures, the yeah. flying man. And actually recently on Instagram, I connected with Martin Gant, okay. who was a special effects and is, I still believe, a model maker and Ooh. special physical effects guy. Let's get him on. I, I don't know if he wants to really talk to me, but <laughs> nonetheless, he was very sweet and he sent me a photo of me and the miniature crew. Oh, wow. A little shop of horrors. That was very cool. But he has a load of photographs of Instagram from Brazil. Mm. He manufactured the tiny little figurine right. of Sam flying. Now, somebody oh, else, really? Yeah, somebody did the mechs, but Martin, because he was a model maker, he did the feathers and the armor and then somebody else sculpted it and it was all a team effort. And but, can I tell you, watching just that dream sequence, yeah. there, I'm looking at it going, it is seamless. It is seamless. It's absolutely you, you wonderful. You can't isn't tell it? that it's no. a model. No. It's fabulous. No. We know it is, but you can't tell. I mean, yeah. that's what is beautiful about that whole yeah. thing. And Martin created all that stuff. And, and I was lucky enough to go with George to visit when they were shooting at Wembley Studios oh, at the time. Really? Yeah. I did a few commercials there later on, but when I was at school, we went to visit shooting of Brazil and they were doing the whole sequence. Mm where he was fighting the samurai warrior. Oh, wow. And red blood came out, right. the jets of gas, which actually was red gas. They had to create this chemical to make a red jet of gas. Wow. Because, you, know, you know, you didn't have CG back then. But yeah, Brazil, we'll have to check that out. Yeah, I think we should plan two and a half hours and just sit in the dark. Yeah. I'll even put the subtitles on for you. Now, you're pounding your head. You no, headache. I still have a little bit of a headache, but don't worry about me. I'm fine. I do worry about you, sir, especially with this whole health insurance malarkey. Yeah, well. Now, talking about that, health insurance and all that, because it is a bit of a failure. And I think the idea of this episode was to deal with failures. It's the first episode of the new year. <laughs> so why not look back on our failures? Let's start as we mean to go on, shall um, we? So, yeah, I'm looking at your notes here. Yes. And you've got past failures. Murphy's Mob, and then the curious subtitle of Cock Incident. Yes. So now, as you may or may not know, once upon a time, I was a paid-up member of British Equity as a child actor. Thank you, no photographs, please. And I had an experience of being a kid actor. I did a show called Murphy's Mob, McDonald's adverts, and so on and so forth. From a very young age of 12, I was on set. Right. I was experiencing that whole world, which was wonderful. But I was doing this show called Murphy's Mob, and that was a very good experience. But the thing is, my mind was elsewhere. My mind was on doing makeup effects and right. models and things, even at that age. And I distinctly remember it was done at ATV or mm -hmm. Central Studios yeah. before they closed at Elstree. Right. Uh, and then that became, I think it was BBC. BBC Elstree, yeah. yeah. With and the EastEnders, Holby uh, City. And all. Yeah. And actually, I'm in contact with Keith Jane, who played boxer on Murphy's Mom. He's a very cool guy. But anyways, we'd done this series and I found it a bit of a challenge. I had to learn my lines. The worst thing was getting up on time for the van to come and pick us up to go right. to the studio. And many time I'd be in bed and I'd see sunlight was coming through the window and I opened the curtains and the fucking van was sitting down there. Right. And I was like, shit. And it was just like, quick, swipe the old balls with a towel clothes on run downstairs <laughs> unlock the fucking door and it was so bad and we had a lady who looked after us mm. her name was mrs lee and she was german she got martin you keep getting late you're so late and so this all built up and it ended where i was getting very interested in makeup and mm. i'd gone to the girls in the makeup studio downstairs and they'd given me mortician's wax oh, and wow. all this fake blood mortician's wax is what morticians use to build up people's ruined faces right. when they have a viewing and it ended when i decided to make a severed 
phallus. I had everything there. I sculpted this shape of a cock. I Was it put... based on anyone in particular? No. I've not, <laughs> no, I've not seen many. <laughs> yes, it was Winston Churchill's. Uh, he had a particular flurry around the collar. Um, so I'd create this cock. It had blue veins in it and everything. And then... <laughs> I decided to put it in my jeans. And when they were doing the camera test, oh, which is how everybody goes to lunch and they line the old cameras up. These are the old video cameras on right. the pedestal. And they line these up and they have the test cards. And so I edged my way in with this kind of <laughs> severed cock and just edged my way in and just stood there waving it about. Unfortunately for me, director and everybody was upstairs looking at that. In the control booth. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So you can imagine a director and a control world and suddenly his pair of jeans comes in with this severed <laughs> cock hanging out. <laughs> Needless to say, conversations were had and I was dropped from the series. You were they let had a series go. three and four, which they shot up north. And now they do say that they didn't choose us because it was up north and they'd have to stay up there, the kids. And so Keith Jane went and did it because they had left school. Right. They were professional actors. But I always tied up my sort of acting failure with that incident and the fact that I was so focused on doing makeup and effects that I had an opportunity right in front of me mm. that I blew, pardon the expression, <laughs> by doing that. And there were things like we had a tutor as well. I remember me and my friend, we'd stuff a potato in her exhaust so oh. when she tried to start a car. I made plasticine effigies of her filled with blood and I dropped them down the stairs oh of the studio. So you were very unhappy at this point. <laughs> no, <laughs> I had a great time doing that. They had a full set outside of Shakespeare's London. Oh, really? They had the, the globe and the surrounding buildings and I went down there for my lunch and you could just hang out in the globe. It was all right. fiberglass and fake, but yeah. it looked fantastic. What was the set of? It was the, the Globe. Oh, of the Globe. I'm yeah. sorry. Oh. I misunderstood you. I thought yes. the set was in front of the actual Globe building and it was a different set. No. Okay. The no. building that. didn't exist back then, you see. Yes. Yes. Okay. It had been knocked down many yes. hundreds of years yes, until that. they redid it on the South. And, yes. Yeah. I, I'm with anyway, you. Anyway, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. And yet, because I guess the lesson was that sometimes in life, you're so focused. I want to do this. I want to do that. And there was a talent there and an ability mm. not to polish my own knob. But at the same time, here was this opportunity and I pissed it away. Mm. And that has been one of my biggest failures that I still think about because I think I can't help it. What if I had done this? What if I Yeah, there's always acting? the what if element and, to everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. But did you do I Remember Nelson before or yeah, after? Yeah, I did. The Further Adventures of Oliver Twist. Yep which was obviously a continuation of Oliver's yeah. story. Yeah. I actually think they've done something recently based on that idea. Mm. And then before my very first thing was I Remember Nelson, right. which is a fabulous experience because they built a massive full-scale replica of the HMS Victory, right. the deck, not right. the outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. just the deck, the and gun you, deck. You were a powder monkey. I was a powder monkey. Yeah. My job would be to run, get the powder cartridges, run up to the cannon operators, and give them the powder cartridge mm. and then get out the way right. before a cannonball took my head off or the cannons blowing yeah, backwards back, because recoiling. of the force. Yeah. They, and they did scenes of them running over people's feet and all kinds of gory stuff, which never made it because I was looking at that guy and, oh, this is great. This is exactly what I want to do, you know. <laughs> how old were you when you were I doing that? I was 12. That? 12, on, 12 years 12 old, yeah. And how old were you on Murphy's Mob? 
16. 16. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The reason mm. I'm laughing, people, is because Martin's making this very almost embarrassed look of thinking about what <laughs> went down that he just discussed. It's amazing how you can still be embarrassed all those years later. But anyway, so that's my main failure. What about yours, James? Oh, I've had many, which, yeah. you know, I'm not too happy about. Bitter. Definitely. <laughs> Come on then, this area. Well, uh, <laughs> I was producing an anime show and there's a process to it. And I had a, a good friend, ex-friend, who I thought was a good mate and was interested in doing this kind of stuff. And I went away to England for a holiday and left them in charge of two episodes. And when I got back, I found he screwed it all up. How did a Muppet screw this up? Well, there's a process to recording anime. You start with the footage. You edit that footage. You send it out to the writers. They write the script. If that is approved, then it goes into a record session and bring in actors who know their stuff, and they record it. And because we had a budget that was designated mm. by Hasbro in Rhode Island, <sighs> yes, quite literally, um, yeah. they tell us, oh, we haven't got a budget for 50 or 60 actors. You can only have 10. So it's in our interest to hire actors who have a good range of characterizations and voices that we can utilize. That's for me! That's for me! I should be sure to be sure. I was a sailor rolling along. <laughs> There's three already. <laughs> and they're all Welsh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we do that and everything goes through a process. This was Japanese. So you had the Japanese footage yeah. and you put the American yes. sensibilities on it. Yes, there. exactly. Right. So we had a process on how it was done yeah. and he was confident that he could do this and I trust him because I'd known him a long time. <laughs> so Monty and I went off to England for a couple of weeks over mm. Christmas, leaving him in charge. And there was nothing much to do on it. He just had to put a couple of extra tracks that we needed to redo. And came back and he had not done that. Oh, and yeah. I, that's what it was. The scripts made no sense. The audio in the footage made no sense because he thought he was streamlining the process, but he left them out because, oh, it didn't need it. And I streamlined I, the design of that ship by leaving out the rudder and the propeller. Yes, and the hull, basically. Yeah. And I lost it. I don't usually lose my rag, but I asked him, I said, why did you not follow the instructions? And he said, well, I thought, A, I didn't need it, and B, I just felt that I could improve on the process and just streamline it a bit better. And I said, how can you streamline a process that has been used for 60-plus years in the industry? You think you know better. I said, it's done this way for a reason. And it was sorted out eventually at great financial expense. Yes, and you completely got rid of him and learnt your lesson, James, and never use him again. And then two years later, um, I decided we were going to make a film together oh, and that man, honestly this is i do tell you about these things well, and you don't listen well that i think is a massive learning curve and my biggest failure because not only did we start off making the film together but things happened in my personal life and he used that opportunity to basically abscond with said movie Right. And, uh, yeah. But I'm going to drill down deeper my into guess. this one to use a shark tank phrase or a dragon, whatever they Dragon's call it. Dragon's den. Yeah, that's the one. And I'm going to drill down because, now look, when I waved my prosthetic phallus in front of the cameras, <laughs> there was nobody to look to but my dear self. Right. Look, you had an original script that was really cool, but it all kind of went pants because the writer or whoever wasn't quite happy and so on and so forth. 
So you then had this Muppet as your friend and you decided to make this movie. There were some funds, yes, but there's no script. So this chap goes off to a writing course, writes yes. a script in two weeks. Yes. But you decide to go ahead with this, with yeah. these funds, because you had to in a way, because the funds were attached to Muppet, weren't yes, they? Yes, they were. Right. And can I just clarify that by using the term Muppet, we are not disparaging the genius of Jim Henson and the Muppets with a capital oh, M. Oh, no, I love the Muppets. We are using the British term Muppet with a lowercase m, meaning moron slash idiot. As in Boris Johnson. Yes. Anyway, so <laughs> you had a budget. It was, I don't know, 15 grand or something. Was, I think it was 20. 20,000? Yes, it was a nano budget. My God, back then you could have made Godzilla minus three. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing is, is you had 20 grand, you got a crew together, you got some big names, yeah. myself, and you got actors. And, and we it was pulled in tons of favours. I mean, tons. We you had, had a helicopter shot. We had shot. a helicopter. We, yeah, it was, it was... You had a helicopter shot. A helicopter! A no less. <laughs> and you, thank you, Michael Sheen. So you had a helicopter shot. The basic idea was that these kids coming to LA and they discover this about sort of TV screen back in the day. Haunted. The big, a haunted it? TV screen. Yeah, it was a, well, they but they don't know, know it. They were like, oh, let's put this on the back of the truck and we'll install this. And it turns out the screen's haunted. Quite a fun idea. Did you notice my voice went up? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you had a reasonably ambitious script. You had some deaths in it and so on and so forth. So I was like, wow, James is doing this and it's really impressive. But Thank it you. all kind of went pear-shaped. So did. is there anything that you can, without blaming the Muppet, as your mate here, your true friend, you don't trust anybody else, can you open up here? and say, I, James, I did this wrong and I've learned my lesson. I did learn my lesson. I think I possibly managed to salvage some dear friends on the original project that was supposed to be the film that we were going to make, right. but we could never come to an agreement because the Muppet wanted to do things a certain way and wanted a business plan. But we were basically three friends going to make a film. Mm. But... The problem was this guy wanted to do everything by the book. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, except it wasn't in the spirit of who we were. So when that plan fell apart and we're like, we've got this money, let's do something else. And my mistake was fine, let him write it. But then when he said, oh, I could direct this. And I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That was, well, that tied in with the previous thing on the anime thing. I was like, this should be fucking alarm bells going off. And, you know, it was a huge mistake. And things started to go even more pear-shaped when... Gourd-shaped. When he took a fancy to the lead actress that oh, we'd hired. yeah, that's right. I forgot. Yes. And oh, then... Oh, yeah. He was no longer returning my calls. Right. Sorry, I'd like to direct this film, but I'm too busy shagging. Yeah. Do carry on. Yeah, so things got a little strained at that point. Mm. You know, it's very difficult as a producer with a very limited crew... When you can't talk to your director and say, okay, these are the props we have for tomorrow, choose which ones you want to use, and he's not returning your call, and we have a 6 a.m. call time out in the desert. It's very, very difficult. And oh, yeah, I remember all that. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really tough. Something I remember talking about low budget is breaking my molar on the chicken served by, oh my your, God. Uh, by the very cheap craft service. Yeah, uh, that, that I use would, that word again, loosely. <laughs> very, yeah, very bad like, And I situation. phoned up my dad and was like, Dad, what can I do? My dad <laughs> being a dentist, and he was like, okay, well. Fly get, back to England. Get enough, yeah, fly back to England, it'll be cheaper. <laughs> And he was like, get a nail file, yeah. disposable one, file it down, mm -hmm. 
and I was like, okay, we're not making saw here, Dad. File it down, <laughs> and then you can get some putty, uh, which I did, and I put the putty in there, and it was fine until I went to the dentist. But that wasn't cheap. No, it wasn't. I remember. Yeah, we had so much going for it yeah. in general, and we pulled a lot of favours. You had the stunt guy, wasn't we it? We had no. Lee Whittaker, who yeah. is a director in his own right, as well as a stunt coordinator, and he did some amazing stuff. You yourself did some great visual effects. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, look, you've got loads of people out there that have got all this access to digital technology and everything. What three lessons you learned from that? I might have to get back to you on that. Oh, dude. No, I mean, they always say don't work <laughs> with children and animals and family. but Muppets. <laughs> and, but, yeah, it's one of those things where friendship comes above everything else. Yeah, you do have to hire professionally, and it is a business. It is show business, not mm. show friends. But things are done in a spirit, especially on the low-budget yeah. side. And if you can't trust the people you're working with, then you're going to lose friendships really, really quickly. And unfortunately, as I said, this person saw an opportunity at the death of my sister to take it and run away with it and never spoke to him again. Right. So your sister had passed away. Nothing to do with making yeah. a movie. But obviously you were in mourning. And in that period, he absconded with the project yeah. and then released it, I yeah, believe. Yeah, he released it. You could find it on Amazon streaming, I think. No. Yeah, I think it's, it's streaming. Streaming for a dollar. I've got the DVD. I pay for it. <laughs> Fuck off. Exactly. Sorry, mate. I'd love yeah. to see it, but. I'd say I think he wrote the only review for it right. as somebody else. As reviewed by, what do they call a director who doesn't want to be named? Uh, Alan Smithy. That's right, as reviewed by Alan Smithy. Hello, yeah. it's a fantastic yeah. film. I think from a technical standpoint, I think the crew did a great job of actually pulling it together. Yeah. Mm. But there were things that happened during it that just soured the whole thing. And I, don't, I want nothing yeah. to do with it. So the lesson there is... You need trust, yep. especially between the main creatives. Mm -hmm. You have to trust those people, know that you can leave them to do things. And not shag the lead actress. Right. Uh, <laughs> mind you, it doesn't happen on most movies these days. Anyway, but yes, that was kind of inappropriate, to be honest, especially yeah. now. And also, from my observation of working on it, of course, when you make your own film or as a low budget or you're helping a friend, you want to do your best and you want to push it as far as you go. But there was a particular sequence, wasn't there, where Lee got run over. Oh, yeah. And so when I was boarding it with you, we were kind of thinking, well, how can we create this explicit death as scripted? But we got no money, basically. Right, right. And so it was decided, well, he gets run over. So we can do a wide shot and then we can go under the car. Yeah. And we built this fantastic rig on a dolly. Yeah where we're shooting down through the chassis That's of the car. Right. Oh, yeah, we had to, I've made a little chassis for yeah. the turning thing. Yeah. You know, the, what's it called? A differential. Yeah, we got all these parts from a mm. mechanic friend of ours, and we put them all together, and we basically just dragged Lee on his back, on his back in the parking yeah. lot. Yeah, and remember, he was touching the exhaust, which, of course, would have been really hot. Yeah. So did we have a steam? I can't remember. We had a smoke machine. That yeah. was it. And then so it was like, ah, and then I'd put burn makeup. Yeah. There. Perhaps it was just too ambitious. And well, I think when you're making these No, I think that sequence projects, worked really well, mm. except for the day when we came to shoot. The person driving the car goes, oh, shit, right. hit someone. And I remember we were in the alleyway, and I'd filled up three or four gallons of blood. And I was going to do a trail of blood from the drag and the twist and all that kind of stuff. And we came to shoot it, and the Muppet says, we don't need that. 
I'm like, this is a horror movie. Someone's just got mangled under the mm, car. Right. It was there bit... should be 25 yards of blood. I so like this tea here. It was a bit, uh... oh, no, I was going to say a bit dry. Oh, but you... This tea's a bit wet because there's no biscuits. Right. You ate the biscuits. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot. But that there was yeah. the turning point. The key to low-budget filmmaking, especially horror, is you have lots of blood and... Ding, ding! That's low-budget... necessarily, James, he said, stepping in. I defy you to watch (laughs) any low-budget horror movie because that's the thing that sells when you're selling the film. As horrible as that is. So we had an actress who... I don't remember any breasts. Exactly. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) We filmed her on the green screen stage so there would be no one else around and we were just going to insert her into shots as needed. (laughs) Oh, quick! We need some breasts there. No, 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 Plug not, them not in. like that. I mean, within the it's context, a bit, it's a bit like uh, within the, the howling two this... with Civil Danning at right. the end, just going boom, boom, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. It was like poor woman. I felt for her. It was no, ridiculous. And, and, and she was up for it, and that was not fine. So and we made sure that there were other ladies on set with a robe, all that kind of stuff. We did it right. Yeah, yeah. And come so to did. the final edit, there was no blood, right, and no nudity. Yeah. And it was like, well, what was the point of doing that? So number two, know what you're making. Right. Have a unified vision yep. of oh, what you're making. Don't get me wrong, the Muppet was all for it in pre-production and production. It was in the edit that he decided. When that. you get to editing, keep that unified <laughs> vision. <laughs> yeah. Don't lose it on the way. It's yeah. easy to do. It was very, very frustrating as a producer slash partner in this because everything that was talked about ahead of time was completely thrown out the window by the time it came to post-production side of it. At which point I was booted off the production because he saw that opportunity at the death of my sister. Also, another thing, very quickly, you were shooting some green screen stuff. And I remember they were driving their truck at night, weren't they? Dusk. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a green screen. And it was a while ago now. So the technology was... At Mary Claypool's stage, by the way. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Thanks, Mary. So the chroma key technology wasn't as it is now. i got to say, that was one of the better shots in the film. Well, and it was better because, if I may polish my own little bell... (laughs) uh, Ding, ding, ding. There was... We were trying to work out how to shoot it. And I said, well, why don't you start on the headlight? Yeah. And then you'd crane up Mm -hmm. over the bonnet or hood and you come up to them. So you're keeping your exposure of the background and the artifice of it to a minimum. And now, of course, you'd probably have what they call a volume stage, which is basically a back projection, but your parallax moves when you move the camera, meaning the background that is projected moves with the lens of the camera. And actually, very briefly, there have been so many shows on Netflix I've seen with that volume in the cars and it's dreadful (laughs) they do not know how to shoot it i know i rest my case right so anyway that was probably one of my biggest failures but also one of my biggest learning curves as it were so i I learned a lot from it that's good well thanks for sharing there you go have you seen saltburn not yet no is it good i'm hearing lots of good things about it yeah it's excellent it's really well shot in the have this ratio i think i mentioned it it's like old school film yeah, four by three which i find very annoying but on this occasion it actually worked so the director said it made you as if you're peering into it mm. and that, i thought that's, yeah that's really clever they really did feel like you were peering into it but that's a really good film yeah set in oxford and about that whole society yeah very clever very cool film no, it's got I... that actor who was in that other film excellent yeah Anyway. I like him. I think he won an award. 
<laughs> Speaking of, we just had the Golden Globes. Yes. Which I have to say was a bit... I didn't watch them. And then the Emmys are coming up. Oh, yeah. Now, one of my chums has watched the Emmys. Now, this particular chum oh, yes. I've known for many years. Longer we... than me. No. There you go. But we both started at Image together, I think, on Nightbreed. Oh, wow. Okay. I think. Or maybe he was there a little bit before. His name's Paul Spateri. Oh. And Paul is an incredibly talented makeup, special effects artist. He's very good with chemicals and right. hair application, sculpting. And he's worked on the Game of Thrones. He works for a company called Barry Gower Effects. And Barry and his wife run that company. And they're incredibly talented artists. Anyway, they just won the Emmy for The Last of Us. Now, oh, remember, wow. Nick, almost this time last year, we were talking about the fungus coprophiliac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which we then we realised your mistake wasn't... Uh-huh, my it, mistake. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it wasn't shit-eating, it's actually cordyceps. Yes. Anyway, so they're now working on The Last of Us 2 as we yeah. speak up in Vancouver. But my mate Paul, he won that Emmy and, and I was really chuffed, was really cool. chuffed. But Barry Gower's team won it, won. but Paul received his own one as well. Nice. So I just thought it was fantastic. You had said this wonderful story about driving some effect blood in his car. Yeah. This was when I first arrived in L.A. Before I continue with that story as an offshoot, Paul is a listener. Oh, cool. Paul listens. Thank you, Paul. Paul Spateri said, keep up with the podcast. Lovely, Paul. How about Paul. that? We've Let got an Emmy award-winning listener, ladies and gentlemen. Excellent. Thank and you, Paul. And however you identify. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Now, in my head, I think, are our dulcet tones right now wafting over the makeup chairs of The Last of Us wafting over the cordyceps being applied wouldn't that be wonderful that would be right good. now that would be good anyway. if, if you're listening thank you very much if you're not listening why not indeed and don't forget to like us on youtube but <laughs> you were talking about that incident was when i first arrived in los angeles and i worked for bob Keane image animation yeah. at the time he'd set up a shop here and i had done a music video and i can't remember who it was for but it involved a real pig's head and one of the artists dressed as a butcher with a butcher's apron and he had to cut off his finger with a knife. Lovely. And so basically we had no money. And so I made like a ring mm. which fit over his finger and had a blood tube on it. And we had a stump. And so out of camera, he did the chop and then we had the stump spurting blood as he held it up. Now, two things I remember from that video is one, the pig's head absolutely stank. And number two, that the gag worked very well. Nice. And number three, the big incident was I had a truck, a Bronco, one of the old ones. And in the back, I had two gallons of this blood, which I was using for this video. And in front was my friend who'd rented a oh, car. Oh, it was you. Yeah, it was me. <laughs> That's even funnier. <laughs> yeah. In, in front was my mate who had come to run the show. Gary Tunnicliffe, his name was. And he was driving a car from Rent-A-Wreck. And Rent-A-Wreck, I don't think they exist anymore, no. but it was a company that... They were a great company. They were a great company because you could rent the shittiest cars, basically, for no money. Yeah. And you didn't really have to worry about the condition no. within reason. Yeah. And so anyway, we were driving along and I don't know what distracted and Gary had braked in front of me. And next thing I looked up and I was like, oh, shit, he stopped. So I bumped into him <laughs> and basically... Uh the tops of this gallon blood flew off 
and two streams from these bottles flew up <laughs> onto the roof of my fucking Bronco and down my windscreen on the inside. And Gary said he looked in his rearview mirror and he saw as if I had literally been a shotgun to death. The front windshield just literally spattered with red instantly as soon as I hit him. That's such a great effect. Oh, my and, God, that's brilliant. And he just looked and believe it. So, anyway, we got out and... We looked at you know, his bumpers kind of half hanging off, but we it was rent wreck so we took the car back and he parked it far away and it was fine. They right. didn't discover it till it was too late. Uh, <laughs> not that I encourage that. He couldn't do that now anyway. But yeah, meanwhile, I had the bloodstains on that Bronco roof uh, for quite a few years whilst I had it. And eventually I turned over in the car and that was a write-off. But yeah, that was a good start to my time here. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant story. Yeah, yeah, it was good fun. Back and then. on that note, everyone. I think that's long enough punishment for our listeners. Now, we do hope to take this in some interesting directions this year. Yeah, We are trying to get some guests on board and it would be great to have some names. I have a few people. Yeah, I have a few in mind as well, because I do think the interviews are interesting and it's good to see how people are doing. It's strange days, isn't it? We've just had the strike. It's all over, but work is very slow. We've got this huge influence from artificial intelligence, machine learning. Mm. It's massive. I don't think anybody really knows how it's going to hit. Just, just going to have to wait. I, well, I've heard that the studios are very reluctant at the moment to use it because of copyright law. Right. You can't copyright it. But it, all it's going to take is a few people in Congress to tick the, right. the right boxes and the copyright will be allowed. And we're going to be, yeah. quite honestly, we're going to be up shit creek. Me and quite a few of my friends are very concerned about it. But I think the actors too. Yeah, they made a deal with the gaming show to use AI voices. Yeah. No, I don't know where that's going to go. And at least actors have residuals and they have that. Us as artists, we don't. And we you don't remember really. Mike was saying that he went in for this one record yeah. session and yeah. they started asking him to laugh in 12 different ways yeah. or this, that, yeah. and the other. I mean, something's not right here. What's right. going on? Right. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit fearful of that. And it's interesting because you've got the tech bros like, hey, man, you can be an artist now without learning anything. And why are you old farts so scared of technology? And so I'm not scared of technology. Most of us old farts have actually learned to use this stuff. Anyway, just to harp back to one of our earlier moments in this video. Video. Video and audio. Yes. That Duran stuff, I can still smell it. It's in here. You haven't farted once. Not yet. No. I'll be interested to see what that comes out like. I think because it went in smelling like shit, basically, it's going to come out like roses. There's got to be a benefit. <laughs> oh, there's a reverse osmosis to it. Yeah. I see how that is. Now, anyway, look, we're dipping our toe in. It's a little bit... On the spur of the moment, this one. Yep. Just to get us back into it. Yes. It's been a few weeks, hasn't yes, it? Yes, it has. Yeah. So keep listening. We will be doing another one soon. And hopefully we'll have some lovely guests willing to spill their stories. That's right. We appreciate you. We do. Cheers. Thank you. So on, mate. See you, mate. Before we go, we bring you our... Fuck chat! Fuck chat! Fuck chat! Fact check segment. Here, with the benefit of hindsight... And editing. ...we can own up to our mistakes. 
So James, first little correcty poos for 2024 goes to you. Ding ding. Basically, Slow Horses did not have a graphic novel associated with it. It was adapted from Mick Heron's Slough House book series. Yeah. And it was written for the screen by no other than Mr. Will Smith, not Mr. Slap Will Smith, but the British Mr. Will Smith. <laughs> and it's a great show. Yes, it is. Yeah, I was confused with the Ben Aranovich books. I thought you were going to say the Bend Over books. No. <laughs> Adapted by Bill Makavate. No, Ben Aranovich, who did the Rivers of London books. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, I'm reading that now. Yeah, I was confused. All right, I'll see you next time. Cheers. Bye. Pip, pip. It doesn't work when you say <laughs> James. It just doesn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I say here. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> Thanks to our dear listeners like you, the Wrong Side of Hollywood podcast is made possible by donations from our Patreon members. Whether it be a one-off or a generous monthly contribution, why not consider heading over to patreon.com forward slash the wrong side of Hollywood. There you can become a member and have access to behind the scenes videos and other exclusive content. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.